Here we are, we're back. Uh, today I've got Sonny Webster on the Built for Better podcast. Uh, Sonny's been someone I've been following for a long, long time. Uh, I really love his outlook on life and what he's achieved in, in weightlifting. Uh, I'm really excited to bring such a big name to run a seminar in my local town. Uh, I've made it my mission to bring the best in the business to Condoblin, uh, and I'm really excited for the seminar tomorrow. Uh, before we get started with our chat, let's roll the intro. I'm sick of us not doing this right, that's why I think I'm cutting you from my life. No more. I'm sick of us not doing this right, that's why I think I'm cutting you from my life. No more. Wasted energy, spending a pace for every hour of waste. I need an escape to center me. And I don't mean to make a rush for the door, but time's a currency, I'm currently poor. I'll be leaving it soon, I don't mean to be rude, but this scene ain't for me. Like your mom's seeing your nudes, like a place is a- Here we are. Thanks for coming to Condo, mate. No problem, mate. It's been all <laughs> the uh, weather with me. <laughs> it's been my mission, I suppose, to try and get some um, top dogs in the industry to come out to the bush. And you know, <laughs> here we um, are. I had the Raw Boys out last month. I've had you this month. Um, yeah. Who's next month? I don't know. I don't know. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's hard to get people to come out here. That's for sure. But like when I message you, you just jumped at it. Let's do it. Like it's like I've... a six weeks' notice, too. Yeah, it's like I said to you. Like for me. It's always coming to the smaller towns. I tend to have a better time because for me doing the seminars, it's about meeting new people in the industry and actually finding a group of people that you can really inspire. And I always find in the smaller towns, people go make an extended effort to come to the seminar and make it you know, a really enjoyable experience for me as, as well for them. So yeah, I, I always, always take up the opportunity to go somewhere new. Yeah, my members are pumped for tomorrow. What uh, What's led you to to get to where you are now like i guess what are you you're known as the larrikin on social media <laughs> who can move heavy loads yeah yeah well how far do you want me to go back i guess how, how did you get into weightlifting so funny story really of how i got into olympic weightlifting because as you will know like going back 10 years ago weightlifting was a very not so popular sport and it's only really been since you know crossfit's come about that it's become this really big popular sport and people actually know what a fucking snatch is are we allowed to swear on this one yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> people actually know what a snatch is so going back to 2000 and i'd say 2002 i was sat in a maths class i would have been about eight years old i guess forget my maths right in the uk yeah somewhere around that and yeah in the uk in a little town called wokenham and uh sat in maths class and the p teacher come running into the classroom and uh, she said, look, you're going to have to stop the class. Something big's about to happen. And I was like, well, beats mass. Let's go. Put it on the TV. <laughs> and uh, all the rest of the kids from the rest of the school ran into this classroom. And the TV flicked on. It was right at the point where uh, David Beckham and Kelly Holmes were jumping up and down, hugging each other. Do you know what, when that was? No. Nah. Nah. So it was right at the point where London had won the bid to host the 2012 Olympic Games. Yeah, right. And I didn't have a clue what the Olympic Games was at that point, only being young, but all I knew was that moment for me, seeing how much it meant to these two people, I just knew I wanted to be part of it. I didn't know how, what sport, but I wanted to become an Olympian. Right from that young age, that was always a childhood dream of mine. And like I mentioned to you earlier, I was a keen golfer when I was younger. My dad had me hitting balls right from a young age, and... That was an Olympic sport at the time, so we spent the rest of the next two weeks at school learning how to um, learn how to basically about the Olympics, what the Olympic sports were. And as a kid, I was always that kind of kid that was good at lots of things, but great at nothing. And I'd always make a good effort to try all the sports. And 
I was always good at 80 meter sprint or the cricket ball throw when we were really young. And um, yeah, but nothing really struck out as me as like, right, this is my sport. So once I finished um, primary school, we moved down to Ivybridge, which is a tiny little town down in uh, Devon. And it was about three hours away from where I lived. So obviously at that age, 10, 11 now, moving into, um, moving into a new school, naturally I didn't know anyone, I didn't have any friends and it was difficult. And uh, so just at lunchtimes, I used to walk around the school and uh, wander the corridors a bit at lunchtime and I found, stumbled across this weightlifting gym. And it was very rare at that time to have a, a gym in, in your school, but this school was renowned for its sport. Uh, so I popped my head in there one day and I was able to sit down on a bench and watch this group of kids practicing Olympic weightlifting. And I sat there nearly for about two weeks watching these kids have a go and I got to know a few of them and uh, the coach turned around to me after two weeks of sitting there watching these kids give it a go and she was like, look Sonny, you've been in now two weeks taking the piss out of these kids and to be honest, you're being a bit of a nuisance in my class. Like, why don't you have a go yourself? And I was like, nah, sorry miss, I'm a golfer. Like, weightlifting's not for me. And uh, she turned around to me and said, look Sonny, you've got detention tomorrow lunchtime, you've got to come have a go just for being a nuisance. I was like, shit, two weeks into school and I've already got detention. So the next lunchtime I went along and uh, got my gym kit on and went in for the class. And um, purely because I'd sat and watched weightlifting done right and wrong for two weeks, had a pretty good idea of what I was gonna be asked to do. And uh, first class ended up beating everyone on my first day. Purely, not because I was naturally talented or because I was made for weightlifting, although I was short and stocky and had the right sort of build, I just purely had sat and watched. And that would be a massive bit of advice I'd give anyone before they get into Olympic weightlifting. Sitting and watching it enough times, you get an idea of what this movement needs to look like first. So it made it much easier for me. So I got to the end of the first class, I'd beaten everyone. It was only like light weights we were playing around with to learn the technique. The coach comes up to me at the end and goes, right, Sonny, now you've got detention every lunchtime until you want to be here. <laughs> and that was how I spent the rest of my time in school. And we're still doing golf and weightlifting. Yeah, we're still doing golf and weightlifting at the time, but I can count on one hand how many times I spent my lunchtimes in the playground. But it was every lunchtime, an hour, and then I started training before school and after school. Yeah, and what was the quality of weightlifting, like coaching like at the school? Uh, well, I was very fortunate, because like I said, there was only probably two schools two gyms in the whole of the country, two schools in the whole of the country that had gyms in their school. And uh, fortunately, my PE teacher and the lady who got me into Olympic weightlifting was actually, had actually competed in two Olympic games herself. Wow. <laughs> so I had a very good introduction to the sport and uh, yeah, that was my first coach at Olympia. Yeah, and what were you playing off with your golf? At the time, so I would say I would have been uh, playing off about nine at that point when I was like 12, 13 and then the lowest I ever got just before I stopped was when I was about 18, I was playing off too. And did you get to a point where you had to choose between weightlifting and golf? Of course, and that, and that was the thing for me, you know, training as much as I was, I was training five times a week and um, the golf, we were eventually moved to golf academy and I was practicing my golf three, four times a week and something had to give. And one of the most difficult things about doing golf and weightlifting was the fact that Everything I did weightlifting was like this, linear, and then I had to go like this to play golf. And those two things, although I was very powerful and hit the ball a long way, it became a point where I lost my ability to twist like this because everything I was doing was so static. And uh, yeah, I had, had to make the choice. Yeah. 
And then from 18, obviously leading into the Olympic Games, what was the steps from there? God, so as I mentioned mentioned to you earlier, so I after being at that school um, and training all those times, I was competing in competitions, winning every competition and stuff that I was doing. And um, I went from being like quite a shy kid in school to being like quite confident. I was like, you know, British under 17 championship winner, British record holder, um, was getting a little bit cocky and thought I was really good. And I got selected for my first European under 17 championships in Italy when I was 15. And uh, I was buzzing, going away to the new country to do the weightlifting competition. All we got as our kit was just a t-shirt, a rubbish <laughs> little shitty t-shirt, Great Britain on the front. But I thought it was the bee's knees. And got to this competition, got there, did six out of six, made all my lifts, broke the British records at the competition. And I finished 22nd out of 23. <laughs> And it was one of the best things that ever happened to me at a young age because it made me realize that if I was going to try and go to the Olympic Games, it wasn't about being the best in my gym or the group that I was training with or the best in my country. I'd aim a hell of a lot higher than, than where I was. And it became difficult because I was going to these competitions and don't get me wrong, like I am competitive and I do like to win. And it got to a point where I was getting a bit pissed off, getting my ass kicked all the time. And I was like, we'd go in the training hall and I'd watch all these other athletes that were beating me lift. And I would be like, they're doing different exercises to me. I'm not doing the same stuff as them. And I'd go to my coach and be like, why aren't we doing the same stuff as, as they're doing? And the coach was like, no, just do as you're told. Don't worry about it. I was like, after like a year or so, I was like, this is pissing me off a bit. Like, you know. And uh, we ended up falling out, me and my coach did, because I was getting fed up and getting my ass kicked. And I was wondering why we weren't doing the other same exercises as they were doing. So I had to end up see seeking out a new, new weightlifting coach. And that's when I made the decision at 15 to move to Bristol, which was the next nearest place that was weightlifting, and uh, join a new gym there. Yeah. And uh, what was the... Like, obviously, you said the goal was always the Olympic Games. Like, when did it actually become a reality that that was a possibility? So, if we move on to sort of 20... I went through... There was a lot of up and downs from that period. So, moving to Bristol was right before the qualifiers for the London 2012 Olympics. And I was training regularly. I'd been doing, like I said, all of the world under-20s, like European under-20s, even some European senior championships. I was competing at... A much higher standard than you know my age at the time and uh, I guess going going from there I was about it was about I'd say six months to a year out I was right on the cusp of if I'd had a really good six months running up to the qualifiers there was an outside chance that I could have qualified for the 2012 Olympic Games and because uh, we get host spots for having it obviously in in London and it got to the qualifier of the competition and I ended up missing out on the qualification for London 2012, which had always been my, my dream, home Olympic Games to go to by one kilo. Oh, there they come. So those little green plates pissed me off at the gym now. I can't pick <laughs> them up, but do you know what? Through all of that, and as heartbreaking as it was missing out on the 2012 Olympic Games, going through the process of understanding what you need to do to qualify for Olympic Games was great. And I learned a lot from that experience. And more so than anything, the way it made me feel coming away from that, gutted that I'd missed out on this dream to represent my country at my home Olympic Games, it made me hungry to never want to experience that again. Yeah. And it really drove me on to 2016. And fortunately, I had my sponsors that stuck by me at the time, 
to support me up to that point, but I had to change something that I was doing. And no one would question that what I did in the gym, I trained harder than anyone, nine times a week, every day I'd smash it. But I never thought at any point throughout my career up to that point, I was only young, I was 18, that by speaking, like having a psychologist or speaking to a psychologist or anyone like that could ever help me be better at lifting weights. So I was like, there's no way, way speaking to someone is gonna add weights to lifting on my bar, no way. But I finally gave it a chance after, the, after that. And it was right before the Commonwealth Games in 2014, right after the Commonwealth Games in 2014 that I went to and I finished fifth. I started working with a psychologist and I came away from that competition, I was like, bloody hell. I was just so content with going to the Commonwealth Games and just being happy to be there. And I ended up finishing fifth and I thought, fuck, if I'd actually gone into that competition, really believing that I could have won a medal, there was a good chance that I could have. But I sandbagged myself before the event even started just because I was happy to be there, happy to make up the numbers. Yeah. As opposed to being there to really be a contender. And sought out the help of a psychologist and started speaking to them. They were like, Sonny, you need to start thinking about everything that you're doing outside of your training that's going to contribute to you being a better lifter. He goes to me, Sonny, how often, what, how many hours a night do you sleep? And I was I don't know, I go to bed about 12, 1. He was like, what's your diet like? And I was like, I don't know, I just, you know, eat what's in the fridge. He was like, uh, okay, so, um, you know, what other recovery methods are you doing? I was like, mm, nothing. He's like, you drinking alcohol? I was like, yeah, a couple nights a week. And he was like, all of these things outside of, imagine it like a spider web, your training segment was full. You know, I was training as hard as I could, but there was all these other areas that were making me as a complete athlete that I wasn't doing well enough. So I took that on board up to lead up then to the qualifiers for 2016 um, Olympic Games. I ate the same thing every single day for six months, went to bed at 10.30 every single night for six months. And I turned myself pretty much into a Mormon, not a drop of alcohol, nothing. And everything was going 100% to plan. And it was a lonely time and I was extremely selfish during that period, but I needed to do that to give myself the best opportunity. But not only that, be in a position that when I stand on that platform for the qualifiers, I know that there would have been nothing else I could have been done, could have done to be in my best shape possible to qualify for these Olympic Games. And it got to the day, I planned everything. I tell you, Logan, I planned out my, my weightlifting suit. I had special custom shoes done. I had like a track, special track suit to go to the competition in. Like I'd planned everything. I was like, if I don't win, I'm gonna win best dressed at least. <laughs> everything was black and gold. I'd like dreamt this day in my head every single day for the six months leading up to this event. And uh, Jeff come picked me up, my sponsor at the time, and drove me up to the competition. And we're about an hour away from the venue now, and uh, I'm watching on the live stream the competition earlier, like, you know what I mean, the lighter groups. And um, right as uh, we're about, like I said, an hour away, all of a sudden I see this guy come out in the live stream, and I'm like, hang on, he's wearing a lifting suit, just like the one that I'm gonna wear. I was like, fuck. And then all of a sudden I was like, Jeff, pull the car over. We're on the main motorway. I was like, Jeff, you need to pull the car over. Stop, stop, stop. So he pulled into the hard shoulder on the motorway. I went to the back of the car, opened the boot up, opened my kit bag. I'd left all of my fucking kit. To the most important day of my life, I'd left my suit, my boots, everything. And it was too late to go back and get it because I would have missed my way in the whole competition. So I ended up having to borrow fucking some of Jeff's old kits, some shitty lifters 
to the biggest competition I planned to be the, the nuts in for this day. I was gutted. But you know what? Because I'd done everything I possibly could have to be prepared for that competition other than my, remember my fucking suit. <laughs> I, you could have put me in a pink tutu on that fucking day and I would have smashed it. And it got to the day, it's the big competition and it was a really famous head to head between me and this guy that we'd always be neck and neck. He would normally out snatch me and I'd out clean and jerk him and then it would be close to see who wins on the total. And we get into the snatch part of the, the competition. I'm looking like an absolute clown. And I ended up beating him by two kilos on the snatch, which was like, un he nearly bombed out. And it was unheard of that I'd beat Owen on the snatch. And everyone's going, well, that's it. Sonny's Sonny got this, like, because he's so much better at clean and jerk. And I was like getting all out. I was like, yeah, I'm going to the Olympics, buzzing. And then we get into the clean and jerk part of the competition. He's opening on 175. I'm opening on 185, so I'm like 10k up on him already. And uh, he goes out, and then just before he goes out, his coach puts his first weight up to 182. And I was like, fucking up, fair play, that's gonna equal his PB on his first attempt. And he did it, and I was like, fair play to him, cool. Went out, did my 185, so I'm still well in the lead. And then uh, he goes up to 187, and I was like, no way is he gonna get 187, like. Sure enough, the fucker does. Comes out and does 187. He jumps in ahead of me. I'm like, shit. So then the coach puts on 190. I go out and get 190. PBR is like, that's fucking put the nail in this coffin. It's game over. I took my snap back off. I'm in the back room, all relaxed. I'm like, yes. And then my coach comes running over. He's like, Sonny, you need to do another lift. I'm like, what do you mean, Anne? So he's just gone and done 183. No, 182. And I'm like, what? He's done one one ninety two. Sorry, I was one ninety two. I was like, shit. And then the coach was like, you need one. Well, you need one nine three. You need one nine three to win. And one nine three at the time was the British record. And I was like, nah. And put one nine four on. Like, I'll get, I'll get the record as well. And he's like, son, you don't need to do one nine four. He's pulling his fucking hair out. He's like, you need to make this lift if you're going to the Olympic Games. And I was like, nah, Andy, it's cool. Put on one ninety four. He goes, oh, you fucking missed this. He's going nuts. And I was kind of like. A bit like, you know, feeling good, da, da, da. And then all of a sudden, I stepped out for this final lift and I just took the biggest gulp and I could just hear it go, whoop. <laughs> and I was like, shit, okay, come on, switch on. Stand over this bar, three deep breaths, and I wrap the clean, catch it on my shoulders. And just as I caught the clean, I just felt myself throw up in my mouth. And I threw up, but the only thing that stopped the vomit spraying the fucking center referee <laughs> was the fact that the bar was bedded down so far on my fucking neck that it couldn't come out. And I stood up to the top of the lift and I swallowed down this spew at 194. And then the rest, I just can hardly remember. And it was over my head and I'd fucking done it. And I slammed this bar down and broke the British record and fuck on nuts. And that was my ticket to the Olympic Games. Yeah. Rio, eh? Rio. Seems like a distant memory now. Four Obviously, you uh, trained your backside off between there and Rio. Well, do you know what? It was only six weeks between that qualifying event and the day I stood on the platform at the Olympic Games. And everyone always says that with, you know, the Olympics, normally you have a longer period so you can peak for the Olympics. Because weightlifting is so fucking hard to even just get to the Olympics in, I'd peak for the qualifying. By the time I got to the Olympics, I was fucked. <laughs> My body was in bits. I was on more painkillers than you could imagine, sleeping pills, like everything just fucking hurt. My training was shit leading up to it. Like, you go from being in a sport that no one cares about, no one gives a shit about, to all of a sudden, I'm training in this place in 
in uh, Brazil and I've got a, a people on hand going, Sonny, do you need anything? Do you, do you want another drink? Do you want massage? And I'm like, I'm used to having no one giving a shit about me, <laughs> training in my dark little church on my own, and that was it. And all of a sudden, it was like, all these people give a fuck about you when you're going to the Olympics. And I'd like, I remember this one training session, we were training in the sports hall, and there was literally 30, 40 people with flashing cameras taking photos of me, interviewing me. I'm like, what is life right now? You know what I mean? All of a sudden, you're like a celebrity. And it was great because no one really cared about weightlifting normally. But at the same time, it was hard to like really focus, you know, because everything was just unusual. But I said to myself, regardless of the fact that, you know, my training wasn't going well, my body was in pain, I worked my whole life for that one moment. And I wasn't going to let the fact that I felt like a bag of shit affect my memories of that day because I'm going to have to live with that the rest of my life and I'm probably never going to get another opportunity to do it again and I made sure that I went out and every single one of those lifts I just fucking enjoyed and unlike any competition I've done like I said world championships Commonwealth Games European Championships I've done everything up to that point and weightlifting isn't a sport that you would necessarily feel um, emotional about it's a very aggressive sport and you have to get pumped up hyped up for the lift but I stood in the back room with my jacket zipped up and not once that I'd ever in my career of weightlifting ever felt that sort of emotion come over me. But I just had this ear to ear fucking smile on my face like, and I couldn't wipe it off. And they called out Sonny Webster, Team GB and like who presented on the platform. And I remember walking up the stairs and I was fucking swallowing. So I was like, all my pe- friends are going to be watching this on TV. I was trying so hard not to fucking cry because it was like my whole life, everything like 10 years of like dedicated practice to that one moment flashed in front of my eyes. I saw every good bit, every bad bit, every disappointment that all led up to that one moment. And I was there at my ultimate dream. And yeah, every one of those lifts I look back on now and it gives me goosebumps and I reflect on it with such a pride and happiness about that day. Even though I, I think I only made fucking three lifts out my six but every one of them felt like you know it was the best best lift ever loved yeah, it yeah 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 what a story and on the way down you um, told me a few stories about like meeting some of your idols in the um, what do they call it where you camp Olympic Village yeah the Olympic Village like that uh, let's tell one of them Gore well after, I'll have to mention Justin Rose obviously being a, being a golfer for anyone listening that doesn't know who Justin Rose was he was a really top golfer from England that when I was growing up was kind of real prominent in the sport and I really idolized him and we got to the day of the opening ceremony and I me as a kid I'd sat and watched the opening ceremony on my parents kitchen fucking floor on the tv two three times before and like I could only have imagined what it'd feel like to march out in certain ceremony so we're all kitted up ready to go on the bus to go out and I spot Justin Rose and I just was like oh my god it's Justin Rose I'm gonna go I was like a fucking fangirl mate I run straight <laughs> up to him I was like can, can we have a photo of Justin he's like yeah, yeah cool no problem mate no problem and um, uh, anyway after we had the photo he got chatting to me and he was like yeah so what do you do Sonny I was like oh I'm waiting for today he's like cool da, 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 tell me about your training and I'm like like in my head thinking oh, I'm talking to Justin Rose I'm talking to Justin Rose cool 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 cool, cool. <laughs> And uh, we're just having this conversation. We got on the bus and it was about an hour bus ride into, the, into where the opening ceremony was. 
and uh, Rose is on FaceTime to his wife. He's like, yeah, this is sunny. Like, I'm, there, I'm like in heaven here. And he's telling me all these stories about Tiger Woods and the tour and everything. And I was just, it was just incredible. And we walked all the way into the Olympic, in, into the Olympic Stadium together. And it was kind of cool because it was distracting me from thinking about what we were just about to do, like in terms of like the most amazing moment. And, but at the same time, I was listening to all these incredible stories. And we kind of got to the point where we're just about to march in and Andy Murray's like just a couple of rows in front of me, right at the front. And then someone handed me this tiny little um, British flag. And obviously Andy Murray's there with his fuck off flag, he's about <laughs> swinging it around. And uh, we come marching out and Andy's swinging this big flag around. And I've got my little fucking apple <laughs> like this. And it was just, words can't describe what that was like it just you know i can see it in my head but it was just the biggest like i don't know show on earth really it was incredible and then the next day on i didn't sleep that night i couldn't i was that buzzed with like adrenaline and uh the next morning on the front of the daily mail the main newspaper in the uk was a photo of andy murray there with his big flag and me behind him my little one like that. <laughs> and yeah just incredible like you know, all these people that you'd always seen on just on TV before were all in front of your eyes eating pizza. In and the, you kind uh, of put them like on a pedestal kind of thing, you know, but then once you actually have a conversation with them. Yeah, it was amazing. I think we do. We always, we idolize people in our in our sports and our careers. But when being so fortunate to have met some some of my idols and some extremely talented sports people, what you realize is they're just like me and you, they're absolutely normal people, but they've just had an extreme dedication to achieve a goal. And, you know, a lot of people, when times get tough or things get hard, they give up, life gets in the way and they stop from achieving what they want to achieve. But every one of these people has put that as a priority above anything else in their lives. And um, yeah, it was tremendous to be around. Yeah, 100%. And then from there, from there, from from the Olympics, yeah, I mean, from the Olympics, it was so difficult for a while because you have this peak and the greatest moment of your life. Everything you'd ever channeled towards was there and you'd done it. And while you're doing that, no one else matters. I didn't give a shit around about my girlfriend at the time, my family. I pushed my friends. I pushed everyone away from me so that I could achieve my goal. And it was extremely selfish. Um, but I came back from the Olympics and I was like, where's everyone? Where's my, where's my friends? Where's my girlfriend? There was no one. And it was a real dark time for a while because you have this big high and then you're like, right, now what? Do you just train again? And because weightlifting is all I've ever known, it's kind of like your, it's your one thing in your life that you've always got there as like your, I guess, your purpose or your security. I only feel right when I've been to the gym. It's like me being able to tell myself, yeah, I'm cool, I'm okay. And I really fell out of love with my love for the sport, really, because I was like, I'd done all this, dedicated everything, and what have I got to show for it? I've got a tattoo, some amazing memories, but... And we spoke about this earlier, like, um, where was I going then? Oh, like what you made while you're like putting all that dedication to the Olympics. Like you had one sponsor, that was your only form of income. Like there's not just because you're an Olympian doesn't mean you're making good Especially money. not in weight you don't get into weightlifting if you want to make money, guys. <laughs> no, hundred percent like you know, you you don't do sport like weightlifting, you know, to, to make a million bucks. You know, for me it was about that was my vehicle to achieve my dream of becoming an Olympian. 
and I fell out of love with it after after the Olympics and it took me a while to get back into training. And one day someone turned around to me after the Olympics and said, Sonny, do you fancy uh, coming to do a seminar? And I was like, Ooh, yeah, okay, uh, you know, just talk about the Olympics, lift some weights and, you know, do your thing, teach us a bit. I was like, okay. And for me, it was only through doing that and starting to coach people and help others and inspire people did I find my love back for the sport again, but through, you know, helping others achieve goals, hit new PBs, learn a new skill. And that gave me the buzz that I used to get when I used to compete. Because for me to get a PB now happens once in a million years, you know, business gets in the way, life gets in the way, I've got other priorities. But helping another person improve or get a PB or see results gives me like my hit, if you like, it gives me my fix of that, you know, feeling of purpose or, you know, achievement through other people. Selfish in a way again, but, you know, I thrive off seeing other people do well now. And that's what I continue to build my business around. Let's fast forward to where you are now. So you re- tell us uh, just like a little brief of where you've ran seminars. <laughs> well, there's not many continents in the world, countries in the world I haven't uh, been to do a seminar now. I've done the, the whole of Europe. Um, I'm traveling next week to do start my LA, start in LA. I'm going to do Miami this year. Canada would be the first time I've done there. Um, I've done the Middle East a lot of times, Bali even. Um, I did 24 gyms in Australia on a tour last year. It's really taken me all over the world and I'm extremely grateful for the opportunity that it has given me because never in my wildest dreams would I have thought that I would have been able to make a living from Olympic weightlifting. But, you know, so thankfully, so thankful to the sport across it really to give weightlifting um, a boost in the right direction and put a spotlight on it because a lot more people now are now aware of the Olympic movements. It's fun and sexy to train Olympic style and do the snatch in the clean and jerk. And more and more people are wanting to get involved in it. And, you know, there's more educators out there that are putting out really good content for people to learn from. And, you know, it's it's great because, you know, I get to teach people all over the world how to do something I'm so passionate about. Dubai last week, condo today, LA next week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's been a, been a roller coaster, but that's what it's all about, mate. It's like, you know, I said to you when I was flying in the plane here, sometimes I pinch myself, like, what the fuck, how have I managed up here? But... You know, it's all part of the journey. And I said to you on the way down, how's your academy going? And you said you've got 4,000 Yeah, about 4,000 people through the academy now. And, you know, we're just starting to employ people. That's growing the, the academy space that we've got. You know, for me, when I do a seminar, I get to reach 30 people. Uh, but I can only reach 30 people once a weekend. You know, if I probably work two weekends a month, that's 60 people a month that I can touch and inspire and help learn to lift. Whereas it was always my goal to be able to take that online so that I can reach more people. And that's exactly what we've done with the academy and there's multiple options. You know, I thought of absolutely every roadblock there could have been in order for people to learn how to do Olympic weightlifting. And uh, I made the videos and solved every problem there is and put it online for people to learn, you know, um, away from me and work with me over the internet which is which is awesome yeah I'm driving here and I say to Sonny how many people you got in your academy you say 4,000 I'm thinking fuck I'm bringing in build town for 3,000 people <laughs> <laughs> yeah no that's cool what's next for Sonny Webster um, what's next so things it's all about the academy now and growing that um, I also set up my charity end of last year called Lifting Dreams we built our first gym in Soweto in South Africa for deprived kids, kids that don't have great opportunity will probably never get the opportunity to um, 
have something a focus and you know it's very easy in Soweto someone's murdered I think once every six hours in this suburb of Soweto it's a lot of crime there's a lot of poverty and kids get into bad places there and we wanted to build a space where kids can come um, stay out of trouble learn a great sport have a passion but also a safe place to do their homework and their training as well and you know it's about giving back to the sport and I'll always remember my first coach always saying to me you must leave the sport in a better place than where you found it and weightlifting's given me so much life and so much to my life and I owe it a great deal you know from what I've been able to do off the back of weightlifting and now I want to be able to give back to, to my sport and you know leave a legacy that's going to you know, really change people's opinion on the sport. Yeah, something we spoke about was like, I went to a conference on the weekend and there's eight areas of life that you've got to show fulfillment and, we, and uh, charity was one of them. But charity doesn't mean that you've got to give 10000 or 5000 or $1,000 to a charity. It can be doing Not something cool. for a friend or doing something for someone in need and that's cool what you're doing with the kids yeah. with the school. And it's, it's simple things and I think a lot of people nowadays are scared to get involved in charity or to do other things because they don't feel that they can do enough. But I can tell you the simplest of stuff, we live very fortunate lives, you know, anyone that's probably listening to this does compared to what other people live and your smallest gesture or, you know, an act of kindness and more than anything, our most valuable currency is our time. So if you can give time to someone to help them out and, you know, not expect anything in return, that in itself is charity. And, you know, just doing the simplest of things can, you know, not only do a lot for the person, but do a lot for your mental wealth as well. You got a very smart head on your shoulders for a twenty-five year old, I must say. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Let's wrap it up, I reckon. Yeah, well, thank uh, you much for listening, guys. Just run you through the LTF five questions quickly. Tell me something about you that no one would know. Um, I'm left-handed. Left-handed. <laughs> best piece of advice you've ever been given. Um, the best lessons you learn are when you lose. Um, is definitely a stain that sticks with me, you know, through all the terrible things that happened to me in my life, good and bad. It's only when something bad or you've been through an adversity do you actually take the time to reflect and learn from it. And it, it always ends up, if you do take that time, being one of the, the best things that can happen for you. This is something I ask, obviously it relates to me as we spoke about. Is there anything that's happened to you that you thought would be the worst thing in your life but's turned out to be a blessing? Yeah, well, definitely. I mean, the elephant in the room was obviously my, my drug ban and going through um, th going through that. And I never thought that there was a road back from, you know, having been through that, losing what was the most precious part of my life, being able to perform and compete in sport. Um, but, you know, off the back of that and coming back from that very dark time, it gave me the the drive to, you know, not give up on my dreams and always, you know, whenever there is a roadblock or an obstacle in, in life or a hardship, there's always a way around it. And, you know, coming back from that and doing what I've done now and developing my academy, I may never have done that if I hadn't have been through that time. So, 100%. Where do you want to be in five years? Oh, in, in five years' time. Um, do you know what? I would love to have, I'd love to have five more gyms um, around the world, charity-based gyms in the academy, uh, 10,000 members, um, still training, still doing what I do. Like People say, like, you know, what is your dream? I'm living really my dream. The, the simple things in life that I'm grateful for being, having the freedom to travel like I do, 
Um, you know, I've got a beautiful girlfriend now. Um, love spending time and being able to share memories with her. And experience, you know, is a massive thing for me. My goals now aren't driven what I always thought they were, you know, having a Ferrari, driving a Lamborghini, having a million pound house. These are all things that tend, if you asked me five years ago, I would have said, they're my goals. I'm so much more now driven by day-to-day -day simple things that I'm grateful for and travel and experience. Yeah, gratitude, big one, hey? Mm. Favorite quote? Well, I've, I've said it there, biggest lesson you learn when you lose and, you know, most recently as well. Um, I think, because it's been a big thing, I think mental mental health that people are talking about now and I think it's becoming a lot more um, socially acceptable for men to discuss it as well and um, having discussed a lot with James Smith, uh, everything that I've been through as well and one of his favorite quotes was, problem shared is a problem halved. So I love that as well as a, as a quote to, to live by. Yeah, love it, love it. Let's run through your PBs quickly. Uh, 160 kilo snatch, uh, 195 kilo clean and jerk. I've squatted 260 kilos. Uh, done some pretty crazy stuff. Yeah, he just squatted, well. <laughs> I just squatted 220 in, in my gym to Sava. That's a, And 170 in the rain. Yeah, 170 out in the middle of <laughs> the, the road. <laughs> Uh, thanks for coming out, mate. Thanks for bringing the rain. No uh, problem at all. Have a feed and a few beers. Yes. Till next time. Later. <laughs> later. I'm sick of us not doing this right. That's why I think I'm cutting you from my life. No more. I'm sick of us not doing this right. That's why I think I'm cutting you from my life. No more. Wasted energy spinning a pace for every hour of waste. I need an escape to center me. And I don't mean to make a rush for the door. But time's a currency. I'm currently poor. I'll be leaving it soon. I don't mean to be rude. But this scene ain't for me. Like your mom's seeing your nudes. I can play.